are now tuned into the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. This is episode 55 of the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to share their stories. My name is James Bodden. And for episode 55, I wanted to do something special, so I did. I've brought two fantastic guests here for one episode. I've got Eric Claster, startup advisor, inside sales consultant, SDR process, methodology, and training expert, alongside his longtime friend, Co- former co-worker and amazing sales development leader in and of her own right, Natasha Schifrin joins us as well. She's a sales development and strategy leader at Creator IQ, a business development guru. And not only is this episode special because I've got two really fantastically smart sales professionals joining me to talk everything sales and sales development and inside sales but it's also the first time I've had to re-record an episode and you'll hear a little bit more about that in the actual episode itself this is a fantastic episode chock full with covering strategy covering what it means to see success in sales development we go so far and touch on so many different things I really can't wait for you guys to hear this one. If you don't have time to listen to the entire episode right now, Natasha, Eric, served up a snack break sales tip for us to digest. Check it out. Um, I, I would go back to what I said um, earlier on in our, in our conversation, and that's try practicing being very present during your discovery um, and your, your initial meetings with your prospects. Um, listen to what they are telling you. And when they're talking, focus on what they're saying and not what you want to say next. Um, it's really, really, it, it's, <laughs> it's life-changing. I mean, of course Truly. you have to be prepared going into the call. You have to, you know, you, you already have to know where you want the call to go. You have to know what you want to get out of that call and you have to know who you're speaking to and what's potentially challenging them in their role that you're helping. But if you're confident in all of that and, you know, one month in the job, you should have a basic understanding of, of your organization and what you're doing mm-hmm. and what that checklist of questions you have to get through are. You're never going to ask every question that your boss is telling you. <laughs> So, you know, there's not a single qualification record that comes through where one thing hasn't been left off. Yeah. That's fine. That's really okay. As long as you are, like I said, just focusing on what the prospect is telling you. Every time they're giving you information, they're telling you how you can win this deal. And when you're not focusing on that, truly focusing, truly present, you're going to miss all those cues and those opportunities. Boom. And I'm going to piggyback right on that and say that uh, this is especially challenging when things apparently don't go our way. 
when we don't get the right person, when the person doesn't act the way we thought they were going to act in our wildest dreams. And those are the times when we have to double down and apply the principles Natasha just said, um, especially when we hear that no word. Um, and it, part of it needs to change our, our um, I guess you could call it, you know, in, in our other parts of life in general, it, it can seep into that as well. A no, saying no, as Natasha alluded to, in terms of not pursuing when it's not right, when it's not a good fit, when it's not the right timing, you saying no saves your entire organization an immense amount of heartache and resource you know, drain. And also when you hear no from people or different permeations of no or rejection, if we could even say that, it's understanding that that's, that is the pinnacle time for you to double down uh, to be present and to dig deeper because as Natasha said, you will, you will get the most important nuggets um, at those points. A fantastic set of snack break sales tips coming from my two fantastic guests. And without any further ado, I say we jump right in to episode 55 of the Lunch Break Podcast with Eric Claster and Natasha Schifrin. Okay, here we are. It's episode 55 of the Lunch Break Podcast. And this is a monumental podcast for a few different reasons, namely because my two guests are monumental folks in and of themselves. Uh, it's also the first time that I've ever had two guests come on the show at the same time. And it's also the first time that I've had to re-record the damn podcast because we've already done this one time before. Last year, Natasha, Eric, and I had this fantastic conversation and Spectrum Internet was not cutting it for me that day. I'm calling them out by name because it was the only blemish on my recording interview record and and just very grateful that both of them have decided that it was worth their time to come here and do this again so uh, that you guys can hear it so eric claster and natasha schifrin very very honored and excited to have you both here thank you likewise fantastic and look i think i already know we collectively already know how much all of us love talking about the subject of sales development, inside sales, outbound sales. So let's just dive right into it to get this thing going because we're going to need all the time that we've got allotted here. Um, I'll start it off the same way that I start off all of the podcasts. Eric, Natasha, you can choose who goes first, but how did you guys get started in sales? And then um, obviously we'll come to kind of how you guys met and started working together as well. I have no idea who she is. I've never met her before. Fantastic. This is a new experiment. <laughs> Go ahead, Natasha. Wow, thank you. Um, how did I get into sales? I always say by accident. You know, I, I fell into a role by necessity, um, usually, and, um, and, and I had an affinity for it. I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, as we know, I like to talk. Um, and, but before, um, you know, I came on this afternoon, I, I was like, I've got to have a better way to answer this question. And I was thinking back and I think there's always been for me an affinity to persuade people, um, to fall in line with the things I really enjoy. And I think back to, you know, as a kid, actually I even do it now and there's a song that I really, really like. 
a new single or whatever. And I'll make sure all my friends are listening to, you've got to love this song, you better hear it. And, and it's all with food or like constantly throughout my life, I'm like pushing things that I like onto my friends and family. So I think there's always been that kind of natural um, endorphin rush uh, that I get when people, you know, you close, you close on persuading someone to, uh, to take your advice or, or to pick up something that they might not have picked up prior. Um, but essentially, yeah, by accident. I love that. And, and, you know, I think it's an important, uh, recognition like, Hey, I just like people, I just like people getting on my side. Right. And that's at the core of it. What about you, Eric? I definitely concur with what Natasha said, um, you know, sharing and connecting, being extroverted and very Leo like, uh, Connecting with people and, um, you know, debating with people is, is an important part of connecting with them as well. I, a little bit of a different background. I, I started very early at a very young age in sales. Um, even, you know, one of those type of guys around the neighborhood with my brothers in a very uh, middle, lower middle class community in rural Kansas uh, didn't have much. And we wanted to do lots of things, sports, activities, scouts social stuff and we wanted money my brothers and I so even from a very young age and me being the oldest we were always uh, doing things we were always selling things uh, all sorts of uh, you know four boys is good manpower for leaf raking so that was the beginning of it and you learn uh, well what today looking back on it we learned so many important lessons even even then um, then we knew the more kind of in terms of scheming but uh, you know how you run your business best in a simple sense but I really enjoyed the satisfaction of it. I enjoyed the game, well now we call it gamification of it. Um, and I enjoyed the social aspect of, of, of doing it with other people and for other people as well. Satisfaction of bringing someone value. Again, all these terms we, we say today, uh, you know, in much more simpler terms when I was growing up as an adolescent and, and, a, and a child um, and now, you know, as a profession. Yeah, and I think sometimes just generally, when we're thinking about what we want to be when we grow up and, and what we want to aspire to be, we're looking for things that are external maybe, but, uh, but because the answer to that question for most people is the exact same, right? I just kind of fell into it. I just kind of found out that I had this gift. I, but when I think back, you know, and it, it's always the same thing. When I think back, I actually always had this kind of affinity for this thing and always enjoyed this aspect of it. And so I think it comes from maybe just the way we're wired growing up thinking that the things that I just naturally enjoy, I can't ever figure out a way to parlay this into a living when in um, reality, that's quite the opposite, right? You can, that's probably what you're best off doing. So uh, Natasha, when you got started in sales, what, what was your impression of of the profession you know before you got into it and then as you started actually doing the job because i think this is something that we we all is kind of very near and dear to all of our hearts is is opening up people's minds to what it really is as opposed to what they may think it is before they even get started yeah it's an excellent question and definitely earlier on in my career i i wasn't aware of the art behind it or the psychology it was 
was just ticking off things that you, you know, I was an individual contributor, very, very transactional, um, B2C. And, you know, you just, okay, I've got to come in today. I have to hit a quota. And in order for me, I have to make X amount of phone calls. And it, it, it took um, actually me moving into a managerial team lead role to start to understand and to break down that what I did and what, you know, kind of came naturally or, or a process that worked for me and breaking that down and being able to deliver it um, to other people on my team, I think that's when I really started to understand, oh, this is, this is more than just ticking off boxes to get to an end goal. There is, as I said, an, an art here and, and uh, there's logic to it. And then I think as I evolved further through my career, it became even more than, than this just logical, it, it's psychological. Mm. Um, and you start thinking and Eric used the word scheming and again early on it's very much like oh I know that if I say this it can be interpreted as that and and it's only I think in the recent years of my career that I understand it's all just really about communication and relationship building and that's really like what we're doing here is to create space for authentic communication and to speak to people in their language and make their lives better. Um, but it took me, you know, 20 years of, you know, working my way around uh, sales organizations to, to reach this, this understanding where I am today. Yeah. And it, it's always a journey and, and it's, it's, and I'd love to kind of dig into where you guys met on your journeys, right? Of, 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 um, you know, what point you both were at and maybe we'll start with Eric, like when, when you guys met each other, um, and, and how your relationship, cause I know this is something we covered last time, just your working relationship has just influenced each other. And I love the fact that you guys have kind of stayed in touch throughout the years and, and, um, you know, how did this all come about? Yeah, I, I wanted one moment just to go rewind a second with some of the things Natasha said. I remember also, you know, as, a, as an adolescent and then as a, as a teen and a small business owner uh, before, you know, getting into tech, let's say, uh, more specifically, you know, realizing that, the, you know, the best leverage you have is really being yourself, right? Using what you do best, your you know, individual personality and way that you connect with people to communicate your value, right? That's what it's about. And as Natasha said, the communication and the relationship building is about how most effectively you can communicate value to those who need it. And especially as a young person, right, before we have all of these, uh, before we go through life and, and have all these other things upon us, which influence us both personality-wise, psychologically, and responsibility, uh, you know, flipping from that, you know, realizing that, uh, you know, being genuine, being who you are, um, is really the best secret weapon you have when communicating your value, whether you're mowing someone's lawn or running your own mobile DJ service or today, fast forward into tech, um, very much so. And I think that where Natasha and I first overlapped um, in, a, you know, working for a, a very large global telecommunications and energy company, um, we, it was very, very, um, fast-paced, uh, transactional, as Natasha said. Mm -hmm. And I think there you must be genuine because you have no time 
to be anything else. <laughs> you, as good as you might be, uh, you know, being theatrical or doing things that you're not or playing any sort of games you think you're doing, being genuine uh, down to the core is really all you have time to do. And that's where we met, actually. We both were individual uh, contributors and a, a company that really had a revolving door because of how, how difficult it was of people coming in and out. And some of these people were people that were older in their careers that were trying it out. And some people were younger uh, like us or even younger than us. And uh, I think at least personally, I can say that uh, the people that I noticed that stuck around and did the best, including myself, people that went really super genuine with who they were and used what they had. And it was definitely enough because you just can turn that dial up or down in terms of your success factor when you're being yourself. Um, and very much so, that's where we overlapped. And I think that's why we had longevity together uh, as individual contributors. And then we both ended up being team leads and then supervisors. And, um, um, you know, our run, uh, run there together was, I think, about three years. I stayed, I think, maybe one more year uh, past Natasha when she went on to other, another challenge. And then, again, yeah, we re reconnected as well. Later on, we both entered into the, the high-tech area as well. So... And that was, a, just, again, another application. I, I think some of those lessons that we learned very early, which is about being genuine, connecting, mm -hmm. showing your value as seamlessly and simply as possible. Still very true today, by the way, in inside sales and its complicated permeation of where we are today. I find that, that still to be a truth. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those key foundational principles that, that if you can actually tap into it and and because it seems so simple it seems so trivial it seems so like oh duh be yourself right i mean that's like the most obvious thing but i've i've actually been in scenarios where i've been talking with colleagues about this topic and we're like well are you really being genuine are you really actually being yourself are you really actually telling it like it is. I mean, and I would say, even when you think you are and, and from how far removed you start <laughs> of, of not being that way for most of us, because we've got all these insecurities and our ego is like trying to figure out a way to make us feel like we deserve to be in a room with all these other people saying all of these things that we, yeah, I mean, I think we definitely have lots of, um, I don't know, roadblocks when it comes to actually being genuine. Absolutely. And it's, uh, what does it even mean to be genuine? Like, am I the same person at work as I am when I'm drinking with my mates in the pub? No, <laughs> you know, there's a, uh, right. So there's, it, it's, we talk about being genuine, but you know, we're complex creatures. And so you have to tap into one part of who you are. Um, and you know just be present in that moment but when you are when you're being authentic and true and very much in the moment people can pick up on it mm -hmm. right and i think this this is what eric and i are well i don't want to speak for eric this is what i'm trying to to get to um is it's you know it's not like this frivolous oh just be yourself you know you know, kick your shoes off, put your feet on the desk, and, you know, caution to the wit. Like, no, it, it's it's about being in the, the that moment and responding and reacting to your environment instead of 
thinking about what to say next or mm. waiting for the right, a gap in the conversation to jump in, but just focus on what the person you're speaking to is saying and then reacting to that as you, as you would, you know, without trying to tick everything off the list and remember everything. And when you hit that zone, people recognize it. Even more so, they recognize when you're not in that zone and you're not <laughs> present and you're not. And I think that's, you know, the, when we talk about that uh, authentic communication, that's what at least I'm talking about is being very present in the moment when you're in those calls or in those uh, meetings is just focusing on that person and reacting to whatever it is they're saying. Absolutely. And, and <clears throat> you know, I think... Eric, I think your perspective is interesting because you work with inside sales teams and have worked with inside sales teams for a while, right? And so you've probably seen different progressions and different phases that people go through when it comes to the latest way to be an innovative salesperson or a sales leader or whatever it is. And it's interesting that, you know, kind of what's at the core of it or just, is something very basic and very true and it never really changes, <laughs> you know, in, 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 in a world of consistently new tactics and things that you could do, you know, your best bet is actually something that's been the same since way before we were around, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Natasha and I had, had a, an interesting kind of learning experience when we, we each managed teams um, because again, we had, very different levels of people. We had people that were second career salespeople and, you know, again, teenagers and college students and post-college, very, very different. And one of the things that I always noticed was that there was a certain cap you could take someone to in terms of their ability to achieve. Mm. If they were willing and if they really tried hard and if they listened and applied the things that you taught them, they probably could get to their target some of the time, most time. 30, 40% of the time, enough to keep their job, but they'll never be overachieving. And that, you know, before we, before we had data, right, before we had wonderful tools and, and platforms to, to maybe sketch out and flesh out a bit more of the things that we called an art, which are actually more science, uh, before we knew any of that, we knew what it was practically. So we knew that some people were never going to get to that level. At, that was okay. They might probably moved on in the long term. Yeah. Um, but people that stay in this profession, regardless of the tools and the development, it's, I think, the same core people or, or, or certain core personas um, of us. And I think that the tools and the platforms uh, hopefully enrich and they help us point to, to faster, more systemically, possibly um, the areas that we can do better and all of those wonderful things. Um, and they should be leveraged, absolutely. And I think that it gives more a name to the things that we experienced in the past and we can point it out, you know, um, and not just brush it off as being, you know, uh, oh, Natasha, she's just a fantastic, you know, uh, orator and <laughs> she's great at maneuvering conversations and connecting people. There's, there's a data to it as well. So um, the core things I think are the same with the, with the personas that pursue and last in these sales and inside sales careers, sales development and so forth, but, uh, and the tools, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> enrich that, give it a name. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I love that because it really speaks to a lot of this worry that's, well, I won't even call it worry, but the discussion that people like to have about technology 
replacing different levels of salespeople, right? I think that's a very interesting conversation because in my mind, it's, well, the, the, the technology that I see, right, that, that, start, that I see kind of maybe creeping in on some of the things that salespeople do <clears throat> really would just make a decent salesperson probably a little bit better. Uh, a good salesperson, probably a little bit better and great salespeople would really learn how to like leverage it and be, <laughs> have like bot assistance to just make sure all of their clients are happy all the time. Um, so I'm, I, I'm interested in kind of your thoughts around that because as we think about, especially the, let's just talk about the world of sales development because it's a world that is an intro to sales for a lot of people. It's first job, first time ever really doing anything like this, first cold call, first email, all those wonderful firsts. Um, and then it also has been attracting people that are interested in sticking around and maybe making a career out of it at the enterprise level. And it's expanded and has become this larger thing. Um, interested in your thoughts around how technology to Eric's point can, can enhance it? Will it replace it? Where are we going to be? How long will that take before the robots are taking our jobs? I think we're a long way off from there. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any of the fears of like business development um, disappearing anytime soon. I think the technology is amazing. The technology is amazing because it allows me to engage with more people at once. So when they are ready to hook, Yep. The, human, the human is there. It just allows us to scale and do what we do well, um, better. And yep. um, as I said, at, at scale, um, you know, even, you know, the sales engagement platforms, you know, we still have to do a lot of personalization. If but you wanted to be effective. I mean, yeah. <laughs> especially you know yes for transactional it, it can work but when you're dealing with you know mid-market enterprise type deals where you you need someone to walk you through and we're talking you know six figure deals that you can't just click through a, a sign up <laughs> link on an email yeah. Um, you, you need, need that human touch, but yeah, why doesn't it go straight to a salesperson? Why do you need BDRs? Well, again, because in order to get to the point where someone's willing to pull the trigger or willing, excuse me, to, to engage in a sales cycle, you need to get them, you need to educate them as to what you're doing and then you need to get them engaged and interested and show them that we can make your life better. Um, and that needs personalization and all of the AI tools that exist right now, again, they're great for getting initial hooks for showing some kind of intent data mm -hmm. to help me prioritize my huge list of accounts that I'm working, but it still doesn't take, it just makes my BDRs better. It just allows them to increase their productivity and focus on the, the what, what we need them for, which is the the personal touch um so i'm not i'm not afraid of uh of uh, the technology at all i think it's just i wholeheartedly agree and I, I agree wholeheartedly and i think that it's even you know when you talk about sales first of all you know a note on sales development being an entry level you know 
it, it, it is whatever it is, meaning, you know, companies, obviously, despite my chagrin, uh, I constantly see companies advertising sales development or business development, whatever you want to call it, account development as an entry level position. I think it's a really big folly. We won't go into that now. It's a whole topic in of itself, but <laughs> yeah. it is what it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, considering what it is for the company, it's, it's pretty funny when you consider all the risks involved to make that position of all the positions of all their importance, the entry level where people can kind of get their training wheels and and all that, but whatever, we'll leave that as a different yeah. topic. The, the, the key of sales development, as we know, I mean, you know, in a nutshell is you're doing a qualitative, pro, highly qualitative cognitive process engagement on a large quantity, right? Yeah. It's really where the rubber meets the road in terms of where things become very abstract and very broad in, mar in the marketing sense. And when they have to get much more specific to make it down that funnel. And it's extremely difficult for many reasons, namely on the macro that reason. You have to do a very in detailed and qualitative and personal uh, job, as Natasha said, on a large amount of, of potential, um, you know, prospective clients and many different activities as we've had to these days. So the, the technology enables us to cover more ground. Absolutely. But it, well, all it does, uh, again, as Natasha said, is allow us to get to what our real uh, objective is and what our real, hopefully, uh, specialty is as sales development professionals, which is to engage in depth with, uh, you know, these, these people and, you know, and, and bring it on down. And if, that, if, the, if the technology can make the first part more effective and more efficient, even by a little bit, it's worth it. And it will be, you know, I don't have one of these AI fear things. I think that we will always be leveraging it and controlling it, at least, you know, what we can foresee. And we will, we will, that's what we'll do because salespeople will do that. Salespeople, meaning sales development and sales will consistently leverage whatever they can get to get more in their pipeline, to make their target more attainable, to overachieve better. Um, and the interesting thing here is, is the industry, watching the industry, watch different companies learn this for the first time, you know, mm. come up against a productivity gap with their sales development team, for example, and their funnel, and then figure out how to implement technology into their ecosystem slowly but surely one by one different you know platforms and see how it tweaks and tweaks and tweaks and tweaks their 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 pipeline watching that kind of aha moment not that they're anti-technology but watching 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 it happen where they realize oh wow yeah sales development is really supposed to be interacting with people not doing all this stuff uh, beforehand. I mean, obviously we all did because that's what, now we have platforms and so now sales development can go back to doing what we, you know, did before it got so quali uh, quantitative, which is engaging uh, yeah. and using your cognitive ability as an SD, as an SDR and your, you know, your, your head, your mind and your persona hmm. to, to do that. So it's, uh, uh, it's watching that light go on uh, for, for, for companies. Yeah. Yeah. And I, are you, are you, are you seeing a shift away from organizations focused and you know both of you can speak to this because i think natasha you're in a role where you're kind of probably setting these metrics and these kpis and um you're working with teams eric that that are are probably have varying levels of this but are we are we still at a place where we think hey the fantastic bdr is the one who makes 120 phone calls in a day and sends 80 emails or is it because of the technology maybe scaling back and being a little bit more strategic and saying hey the best SDRs are the ones who 
you know, are, are maybe making 40 a day, but man, are those to the right people at what they think is the right time through using intent data or, you know, all of these different tools that they have at their disposal. Um, what do you, what's, what's kind of the flavor out there as far as activity levels nowadays, you know, cause I think that's always highly debated in sales development, right? Is it, is it, hammer away on the daily activities or give them the freedom to maybe go do some more, I don't know, personalized low touch work. Yeah. I mean, definitely the latter for me. I mean, I, I would say again, it depends on your product. It depends. Sure. On the There's a lot of context. Like sometimes it makes sense, right? Yeah. Just yep. spray and spray. And, uh, like Follow I the said, day. a lot of, you, you can get up into the buying point all through automation. Yep. Um, and emails. But, you know, in, in our world, um, I would say definitely, definitely the latter. Um, I don't pay attention to how many calls the team. I don't care. I don't care about the calls. I don't care about how many emails they're making. Um, what I am interested in is the number of accounts they're working at any time. Are they able to um, create engagement with those accounts? And are they able to to nurture them until that account is ready to engage, um, engage with an account executive. Right? Wait a minute. You don't expect that every prospect they call is ready to buy and the time yeah. is perfect. Right. What? That's yeah. crazy. That's no. insane. Why I, <laughs> <laughs> I always position it, cause I'm sure you guys, I get SDR'd all the time. Right, I'm constantly getting bombarded with emails and phone calls. You know, I need this platform, that platform, and I tell my team, I got an email today. It's something that's really, really interesting to me, but it's just not the right time. I'm not looking at something like that. I have so many other priorities, and I file it away into my folder. I have a whole folder dedicated. As if I'm doing that, I promise you, <laughs> the other people you're reaching out to. Just because you're not getting a response doesn't mean they're not paying attention, that they're not waiting yeah. for the right time. So I always try and position it as like, again, the real world, like how humans- That's fantastic, are. yeah. <laughs> the best SDRs you're, you're, is, are the ones that meet and exceed their targets and of course have deals that connect and all those wonderful things. Uh, afterwards, revenue is what it's really all about. That, you know, we're, we're far past the, uh, the metrics when it comes to a recipe for what specifically you need to do. And, and, and again, organizations realize this very quickly because we all come from uh, you know, somewhere. We, we know where that is in terms of statistics. So the, again, the tools allow us to be on top of it. Yeah. And when you're not, when you're not up to par, when you're not meeting things or exceeding them, the first things we all look at, you know, obviously is data. So it helps, but um, it's absolutely not, you know, and, and repetitively, I, I've seen improvement or more organizations. And again, because I hop around from different organizations, they're better at that. They're better at not assuming, you know, certain status, statistics. It's also, they don't really know what to do with the data. You know, mm. these, this wonderful age of, of platforms and data, uh, you know, if, if you're using it to benchmark how many calls you need to make, there's, there are other factors. And so it's, it can be misleading, of course. We talk about, you know, wonderful platforms that, that give you data on calls and statistics and, and emails and cadences and sequences and all these wonderful things. Um, it can be misleading if you're not looking at the right, you know, glasses. And of course, if you're not looking at the macro. And I think really, you know, the, the bottom line is, 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 is leveraging leveraging those um your, your people your, your sales development professionals you know 
as Natasha said, engagement, right? We, uh, you know, oftentimes I call it story building, you know, uh, how effectively are they getting to the finish line, right? Mm. No, I... <laughs> Oh, sorry. That reminds me of the all-bound model, right? The inbound, it reminds me of the inbound-outbound quagmire, right? And again, a different topic for a different time. But also to me, you know, here's your target. Here's your inbound. Here's your outbound. Whatever. Get there. <laughs> I'm being a bit facetious, but, you know. Yeah. I, I would say as well, the by not focusing on those, you know, the vanity metrics, it also allows my team the freedom to be really creative. They're the ones, they know even more than I do what people are responding to within our field or not. They yeah. know the personas of the people that On they're- On a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> connect with. And so by, yeah. by not forcing them to have a set number of emails and a set number of dials a day, they're starting to think really outside the box and they're changing up the messaging. They're not afraid. They're, they're not afraid to experiment with messaging, with the types of emails, with video. They're coming up with amazing direct mail um, campaigns. And I think that, you know, by removing those types of KPIs and metrics, I mean, I pay attention to them. I just don't want my team to pay attention yeah. to them. Yeah, it's right? not their... I, want, I still want to know how many emails we have to send in order for a meeting, but that's my problem. My team mm. should not be worrying about that. And it's created this space for them where they're not afraid to test things. And if it doesn't work, okay, it doesn't matter. Move yeah. on to, to our pivot quickly and try something else. Yeah, I've always been really fascinated with, you know, I mean, so many other departments and businesses have areas where they get to experiment, right? The engineering department has you know, an entire little lab, right? Where they can tinker around and test things and the product team has the same thing and they're, they are kind of incubating these things that they're just, hey, we're gonna go out and like, please fail, fail as much as you want because this is how we're gonna figure this thing out. It's always so interesting to me how that's almost so rarely the narrative. <laughs> for sales because it's like, where's the ROI? Q1's down, Q2, Q3, Q4, where's the, uh, you know, and, it, and um, I love that, the, that you're kind of fostering that culture there. And it's, what's interesting is because if, if you've been in positions like you two have been in where you're, you're in a transactional kind of environment and it's got to be fast when when you get to a place where it doesn't have to be that way you can really recognize that difference right and take the opportunity to okay i'm gonna do things a little bit differently i'm not gonna say all right johnny you've got to do this many calls today that's your goal no your goal is to get somebody excited about what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> However you, yeah, you find talk, it, I mean, like Eric's about, point. <laughs> you talk, However you, you get there. It's, it's, it's kind of a um, contradiction. I mean, you can't one, one <laughs> sense say to someone, you know, use your cognitive ability and do a great job interacting <laughs> with someone. And then, yeah. you know, but make sure you make your hundred calls or else, you know, you're not, it, it, it doesn't, giving people the autonomy to do, uh, you know, their job properly and what is proven. We, you know, we, we trust a lot of things with sales professionals, right? Mm. Sales development, especially that they're going to find 
the right path to success, hopefully with guidance in Natasha's case by her or her team leads, et cetera. <clears throat> you know, you obviously have someone showing you the path, but eventually you're gonna, they're gonna figure it out, right? That's what a sales professional does path of least resistance, whatever you want to call it, most effective path. And yeah. then, then they, they're doing it. So, you know, then, but then bringing them back and breaking down, you know, but how many calls and, and, and maybe the particular sequence and all, you know, again, they're all important things, especially when things aren't quite going well, but it doesn't really go together to give someone <laughs> that kind of autonomy and then reel, reel them back in, you know, to wag your finger about how many calls they did or didn't make or their email uh, personalization level and those sorts of things. It's kind of, it's not the kind of culture really from my experience. It's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough balance to strike. I, I, I think that's probably where most organizations are default to just counting emails. Like, well, shit. I mean, we want people to be creative, but how the hell do we track that? So, uh, <laughs> you know, like, let's just go ahead and, uh, run it off this dashboard and uh, see how it goes. And for better or for worse, eventually people figure it out, right? I, I've, I've been places where there were very strict metrics that you had to hit every day. And there was one guy who wasn't doing it. He wasn't hitting the numbers, but he was doing it in to, for, you know, lower numbers and, higher personalization or whatever. And so eventually he was just successful enough after consistently not hitting his KPIs that they were like, Hmm, maybe we should reconsider, you know? And then literally like they just lowered everything down and made tier, you tiered it out and stuff. So right. sometimes you've just got to do it. Right. Which I think is one of the beautiful things about sales. Um, sometimes it can also be kind of ugly and really tough and hard to deal with, but, you can figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the key is just being really not being emotionally attached to your experiments. Mm. So if it doesn't work, you can pivot very quickly and revert back yeah. to what you were doing or, or to something else. And I think if you, you know, and I've done it in the past, I was absolutely convinced that one way is the way to do something and then it doesn't work. But because... Yeah. Oh, I was so, again, convinced. I, I believed so strongly. I, it blew my mind that something wouldn't work. And I kept, I kept on for too long. And that was a learning experience for me. So I think don't, they're not your babies. These experiments, <laughs> these things you try, you know, it's, it's, you put them out in the world and then they either hit or they don't and you've got to move on. Um, and you've, constantly got to be pushing and testing because what works today is not going to work in six months in six that, months yeah. the competition's going to catch up and they'll start copying your messaging and then you become your voice becomes diluted again so i think creating an environment where people are on their toes and and and, and, and wanting to test things and not being afraid to test and like my, my reps will do it without telling me and then come back oh i tried this and it was great i love that I love that they're not waiting for me to tell them or show them go. what to do. It's, it's, that to me be a, would, would be an indication that you're doing things properly. <laughs> Early days. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. Halfway through the quarter. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think it's, you know, it does boil down to, again, some basic things like mindset and just the ability to uh, just, just know that, that, out of anything, uh, you know, I'm 
put something on LinkedIn just the other day about outbound sales and somebody's comment was like, time is the biggest issue for most organizations. They just don't give it enough time. <laughs> and Eric, I would be interested on your thoughts around that. Like, because you kind of are, have seen different organizations, um, you know, is that a barrier for, for successful outbound is that folks are just quitting too early? Are they just well, kind of? I mean, let's look at their environment. I mean, it's it, it's not really anybody's fault, but I mean, we live in a, uh, you know, based on what I said, you know, those of us that are old enough to to remember what it's like to sell actual physical things, <laughs> companies that that must sell those things in order to grow. Yeah. And again, I'm I, I'm speaking facetiously about an industry that I've profited greatly in the last decade and a half by being part of. But you know, <laughs> it, it, it's it, let's call it what it is. It's it's the emperor's new clothes. It's a lot of land. It's not real. Yeah. And because because of the VC uh, backing and and in general, you know, I would call it high demand return backing of our industry. It's an unnatural timeline to properly develop whatever that means. So everything mm-hmm. is an unnatural growth, a natural pace, demands, timelines, goals, targets, quotas, on down from boards and VCs on down through companies to the different departments. So, you know, obviously, you know, the amount of time to develop a team and a pipeline and a process, you know, we're already fighting against something that is inevitable, which is the environment that inside sales has proven to work in. So, um, you know, we always talk with organizations about, I always kind of discuss with, you know, either the VP of sales or the CEO for earlier con- uh, you know, companies, I give them a little bit of a reality check of how long this will take to build, right? <laughs> Especially if they're starting at zero, okay? If they're starting with something, okay, but you know, um, you know, the classic is a CEO comes and says, you know, I've sold it to 20 companies. We just started a year and a half ago. We want to start our go-to-market. Let's build our SDRs and our AEs. Let's begin our process. Let's go. And you turned out that, you know, 19 of the 20 people he sold to were friends from other startups and, you know, people that he knows and, and so on and so forth. So that, you know, we have to kind of put everyone in a right time frame. Yeah. How long will it take to train and build a, how long will it take to test a process and then build it and then, and then bring people in, find them. And then the miracle, which is the, which is farming a warm pipeline, you know, once you've got the people in the process, it then takes time. When I say time, a quarter, two quarters to, and so forth to build a warm pipeline, to these wonderfully capable uh, you know, um, you know, cognizant uh, uh, SDR professionals can actually farm from, and it's not anything anybody wants to hear because, unfortunately, you know, everyone's in the same game of hyper, hyper this, hyper growth, hyper this, hyper that. Um, but we're playing somewhere in between that, of course, because we have to meet those goals, but also, you know, we need to build things properly. So it's it's a give and take. Yeah, what a what a fantastic observation, and <clears throat> I've always struggled to really put it into words well when I've been speaking about it, but La La Land is a really good (laughs) description of what I feel like this environment is um, and which directly affects these unrealistic and unnatural expectations around growth. I I think that's fantastic. And I'm cognizant of time here. So I want to make sure that I ask um, both of you, for uh, just an actionable sales tip that somebody listening to the podcast can use when they get done listening to this particular episode? Um, I, I would go back to what I said um, earlier on in our, in our conversation, and that's try practicing being very present during your discovery 
um, and your your initial meetings with your prospects. Um, listen to what they are telling you. And when they're talking, focus on what they're saying and not what you want to say next. Um, it's really, really, it, it's, <laughs> it's life changing. <laughs> I mean, of course Truly. you have to be prepared going into the call. You have to, you know, you, you already have to know where you want the call to go. You have to know what you want to get out of that call and you have to know who you're speaking to and what's potentially challenging them in their role that you're helping. But if you're confident in all of that and, you know, one month in the job, you should have a basic understanding of, of your organization and what you're doing mm -hmm. and what that checklist of questions you have to get through are. You're never going to ask every question that your boss is telling you. <laughs> So, you know, there's not a single qualification record that comes through where one thing hasn't been left off. Yeah. That's fine. That's really okay. As long as you are, like I said, just focusing on what the prospect is telling you. Every time they're giving you information, they're telling you how you can win this deal. And when you're not focusing on that, truly focusing truly present you're gonna miss all those cues and those opportunities boom and i'm gonna piggyback right on that and say that uh this is especially challenging when things apparently don't go our way when we don't get the right person when the person doesn't act the way we thought they were going to act in our wildest dreams and those are the times when we have to double down and apply the principles Natasha just said, um, especially when we hear that no word. Um, and it, part of it needs to change our, our um, I guess you could call it, you know, in, in our other parts of life in general, it, it can seep into that as well. A no, saying no, as Natasha alluded to, in terms of not pursuing when it's not right, when it's not a good fit, when it's not the right timing, you saying no saves your entire organization an immense amount of heartache and resource you know, drain. And also when you hear no from people or different permeations of no or rejection, if we could even say that, it's understanding that that's, that is the pinnacle time for you to double down, uh, to be present and to dig deeper. Because as Natasha said, you will, you will get the most important nuggets um, at those points. Fantastic. That was probably one of the best overall sales tips. And it was a, a collaboration. I loved it. That was fantastic, guys. Um, to round out the episode, which has been fantastic, and I really have to thank you guys so much for coming on again. Uh, I need to make sure that I ask you both, uh, Natasha, Eric, what is your favorite place to eat lunch? I would say anywhere that serves breakfast. Ooh, nice. I, I love real, especially diner breakfasts. Because you're in New York City and you can go, that's a real thing for you. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's, I will eat pancakes all day, every day, every meal. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, what you, what, what you failed to mention in your question, James, is that lunch for most of us is at ungodly hours, is at dinner time. <laughs> yeah, right. Or sometimes when you're working. So, what do you really mean is, what, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Kansas boy barbecue smoked meat mm. any place that has that knows anything about smoked meats and the art of smoking has got my got my piqued my interest i love it i love it well thank you guys 
so much, both Natasha and Eric. Um, I think, you know, this, this uh, conversation we've had has touched on a lot of different really kind of important points. And I'm, I'm already thinking that we're going to have to schedule a part two very soon because I feel like we uncovered some things that could probably be talked about <laughs> for another hour. Uh, so I want to make sure that if anybody wants to continue this conversation with each of you individually, um, that they know how to get in touch with you. So um, how can folks connect with you, follow along with what you're doing, um, Eric and Natasha? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is really the, the, it's my go-to. It's my, I was telling my husband this week, it's like, it's my new social media. I haven't opened Instagram for ages, but I'm constantly opening my LinkedIn app. Uh, if so you want true. me, that's where you'll find me. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I could be, I could be smart Alec about it and say, you know, leave it up to the person who wants to talk to me, but of course, LinkedIn, <laughs> of course, no, I mean, they, they should be able to find me, of course, you know, uh, if they want to talk to me, if they're, in this profession, but no, absolutely. LinkedIn and personal emails on there, uh, of course. And I'm, I'm sure like Natasha, I'm always, always willing to, to listen and give, give advice and, and, and learn about new things as well. So absolutely. Yeah, definitely LinkedIn. It's funny Natasha about it being a social network. I, I, I posted recently on LinkedIn about just kind of a question to the LinkedIn world. Does anybody else out there noticed that they are using LinkedIn like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter? Because <laughs> I noticed the same thing. I've started using, I've, I've almost stopped with the others because of time crunch, but I've noticed my habits, you know, my personal habits of when I'm using it are so much mirror the other social networks. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I've, I've experienced the same exact thing. Uh, and, and I just kind of take it as, um, you know, it makes me feel better than the other social media. So like <laughs> typically when I'm on Instagram or the other ones, I usually will stop and not feel very good about myself because I've just seen like really cool people <laughs> doing really cool things. LinkedIn, everybody's on their best behavior. Nobody's <laughs> working. Yeah, everybody's kind of working, right? Everybody's kind of, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's like the calories. Really it's, like, it's like the calories don't count on vacation. The calories don't count <laughs> yeah. when you're on LinkedIn, right? It's work. It's all work. It's all work. Yeah, well, I, I have to say I'm super thankful for the platform. I, I get to meet people like you and, and um, I'm fortunate enough to have you guys come on the podcast. And so with that, I'm going to wrap up episode 55 of the Lunch Break podcast. Speak to you guys soon.